Hey everybody, this is Kindle from the Recording Lounge podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a really special interview with someone today. Uh, we've got Ethan Weiner from Real Traps. Now, you might have heard of Real Traps. Uh, I've talked about them before. You might have uh, even seen Ethan on the forums, you know, across a lot of different forums in the audio world, in the recording world. Uh, well, Ethan is an advocate for high-quality audio and high-quality room acoustics. And if you've been a fan of the show for a while, you know that I'm really, really a big advocate for getting your room in check and it's so so important and unfortunately it's one of the things that gets ignored and I get questions a lot on the podcast about gear and this mic and that mic when in reality you know most of the problems that people experience in their mixes and in their recordings a lot of them stem from poor room acoustics uh, so we're going to talk to Ethan about why he started Real Traps, what separates Real Traps from other companies, uh, and how to use them, how to place bass traps, you know, some common myths when it comes to room acoustics, and a whole lot more. So definitely stick around and uh, make sure to check out Ethan's website, ethanweiner.com, that's E-T-H-A-N-W-I-N-E-R.com, as well as realtraps.com, where you can order his products. They're fantastic. I have some myself, and they really do work very very, very well. So stick around and enjoy this interview with Ethan Weiner. Well, Ethan, I appreciate you being here with us today. I know that I've personally learned a lot from reading your articles and watching your videos. And when I built my studio, uh, a lot of the things that you wrote about were very helpful to me. So, um, you know, let's get uh, let's get started talking about the often misunderstood world of acoustics. Well, that's uh, great. And yes, you're absolutely right that it's, and it's just been an uphill battle for, you know, 20 years or so that I've been harping on acoustics. Actually, I've been into this for even longer than that. But just today I was in a hi-fi forum and the guy was, you know, listed all his gear. This is hi-fi home theater stuff, but he's got a receiver. He's got these speakers. He's got these subwoofers, all this stuff. And he's complaining that the, you know, treble is harsh and the bass is totally boomy and indistinct. And he posted a graph of his room and it was just, you know, no treatment, you know, just, uh, just absolutely a ton of gear and uh, stuff. Uh, so, yeah. So anyway, so that's so typical, you know, and you expect it in hi-fi forms, but you would think that people aspire that aspire to recording would understand that their room means something, but, but they don't. So that's a big part of what I've been doing over the years is trying to educate people on the importance of the room. And, and, and not only that, I don't know if you have my audio expert book, but I have uh, other interests in audio and other myths to debunk and other, uh, erroneous assumptions to clarify for people. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I uh, I don't have that book. It's on my uh, Amazon wish list. But I've, uh, I do remember watching um, a, a seminar that was put on YouTube. I don't know if you put it on there about uh, audio myths. And it was you. and Exactly. Yeah. yeah well, I, I, I've done two workshops uh, for the AES. Uh, I'm in Connecticut, not far from uh, you know uh, New York City. Uh, so I go to the AES show when they're mm -hmm. in, uh, in New York. And I've put on two workshops for them. And uh, both of them I made uh, into videos. And uh, yeah, one of them was audio myths. And the other one was explaining how uh, audio equipment is specified and you know, what matters, you know, distortion, frequency response, noise, and, and getting into all the details of that. And uh, uh, so, th yeah, those are on my YouTube channel. There's a ton of stuff there. Yeah, uh, yeah, lots are, of great videos there. Um, so, so tell tell our listeners about Real Traps, what, what you do, why you do it, how long you've been doing it. Go for it. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm 67 now in 2016, uh, and I started being interested in recording 
oh, you know, in the 60s when I was 18 or so. Sure. I built a little studio in my parents' basement and uh, then had another studio with a friend. We actually bought a four-track Ampex. Cool. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and he had a, a barn that is on his parents' property that was really nice barn. It was finished, had heat and, and stuff. And uh, uh, and I built my own uh, board. It was pretty crude, but but it was, you know, a real mixing board. We had this four-track sure. Ampex, an actual, you know, real professional machine. And then uh, I hooked up with a partner. The two of us hooked up with another partner a few years later who bought a 16-track MCI, and we got a real studio in a real place. And the, it was, so it was actually the third studio that I built. We had, uh, you know, a real budget. We had, took in yet another partner whose father was, uh, was very wealthy and was pleased that his kid had something of interest to do. Yeah. Uh, so, so he lent us a lot of money. We built a real studio with, uh, acoustic designers and, uh, well, actually I designed the layout, but we had acousticians, you know, confirm the layout that it was okay. And, and design, you know, and show us how to do, uh, air conditioning that wouldn't leak sound from one room to the other. Sure. The ducts. And this was in a big uh, industrial uh, building, uh, and we were actually in the basement. Uh, but you know, it was like fourteen foot ceilings uh, in the shell. So we hired these acousticians, and they and I learned that's re really where I learned about bass traps and the importance of acoustics and how all that works in isolation and uh, you know floating walls and sure. and suspended ceiling and uh, flooded floors. Uh, so that was in, uh, 1978 and 1979, uh, was the, took almost two years to build the studio. We opened right in the beginning of 1980. So I learned all about, you know, bass traps and how that worked though. At that time we didn't have tools like room EQ wizard or, sure. or fuzz measure to, to measure rooms properly. Uh, things were done. Uh, most room analysis was done in third octaves uh, using pink, pink noise, but at least that tells you, you know, whether your monitors are relatively flat or not. Sure. Uh, though you can't. You can't so much see individual modes in the room. Yeah, and with and a room that large, too, I'm sure you didn't have nearly as many problems as, you know, a small home studio might. Exactly. And, I, you know, when I, I was trying to find my blueprints. I know I have them somewhere. Uh, but the control room was something like 25 feet by 35 feet. It was a big room. Yeah, yeah. The live room was huge, and we, we could fit an entire orchestra cool. in there. And we had another, uh, an isolation room that we called the piano room uh, that was also very big, you know, probably 20 by 30, something like that. Yeah. That was, you know, that was our booth. Yeah. And <laughs> Plus we had, you know, sm smaller booths, but, uh, somewhere in the eighties, uh, uh, Sonex started advertising their foam and, mm -hmm. uh, and then Oralex joined in pretty soon after that. And this was, I, I forget, I'm not good with dates, but it was, you know, mid eighties. And I was really irritated seeing, you know, one inch and two inch thick foam being sold as acoustic treatment. Sure. And this was around the time that people were starting to do more and more in home studios yeah. uh, and, you know, and composers and, you know, serious stuff was still done in big rooms uh, in New York city and Los Angeles. Uh, but, you know, more and more stuff was being done in homes and, and Oralex and Sonex were targeting this, uh, you know, thin foam uh, to these people saying, you know, if your acoustics are bad this will fix your problems yeah and i just got more and more irritated over time and i've always been a you know a skeptic with audio and with uh, you know with life in general so i <laughs> sure. said so i said you know I, what's really needed is a magazine article showing how to make real bass traps and how, you know and, and explaining how this stuff really works and why you know thin foam is okay for you know above a kilohertz but it's not really a, a real acoustic treatment solution sure and in uh 1994 uh, I did an article for Electronic Musician 
that was, well, was, I actually built the house I'm in now. I've been here for 25 years. So it was like 92 or 93, something like that. Uh, and I had a friend of mine who's a real carpenter, really good, much better than I am with wood stuff, build serious bass traps into this room. And I took pictures of everything. I approached the electronic musician about doing an article. I'd like to do an article showing how to make real bass traps and explaining why you need real bass traps in a room. And I have all these pictures and have uh, planned drawings uh, from when I built the professional studio. And they said, yeah, that's great. And that came out in 1995. And that article is still on my website. It's an older bass trap design. I actually recommend uh, something different now. Uh, and that's explained in the same article, but to be sure. the article. But uh, so I've written now probably 30 or 40 articles yeah. on acoustics and bass traps. And I have the bass trap article to end all bass trap articles is going to be a in a magazine uh, in about one more month. And as soon as that magazine, uh, you know, a month after when the next issue comes out in, you know, middle of August, I'll put it on my website, but it's a Great. really serious article that really explains everything. It debunks a lot of myths and uh, explains everything about bass traps. That's probably the last bass traps article. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's, you know, that's been my life. So anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't really get to your question. So in 1995, I did this article showing how to make, these are wood panel bass traps. They're tuned. They're kind of broadband tuned. Yeah. They work over more or less an octave, three quarters of an octave. So you have sure. one for low bass and one for high bass. And then you have, uh, uh, you know, fiberglass based, uh, uh, absorbers for higher frequencies. So I said, geez, how can I turn this into a product? I'd had a, I'm mostly been an entrepreneur and, uh, and, and had, various businesses besides recording studios. I worked as a consultant doing computer programming and uh, I had a software company and then s sold that and sort of retired and uh, have a good friend, Doug Ferrara, who was working for Motorola as an engineer at the time. And he hated his job and I had no job. And so we decided, well, let's start, let's start an acoustics company. Let's sell real bass traps. And mm -hmm. we took out ads in all the magazines, and it was immediately successful. And that was uh, in 2003. Cool. And, uh, and we're actually selling those wood panel bass traps, but a portable version. But very soon after that, after about six months, less than a year, we realized, you know, that there's a better way to do this, a better way to make bass traps, something that's smaller, lighter, easier, and actually more broadband uh, and, and really just more suitable for small rooms. Uh, and that was our mini trap. And uh, so that was our first real product after the wood panel bass traps. And that was really when we took off and then came out with a lot of variations on that thicker and larger and smaller and, and diffusers and other stuff. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing and, you know, talking up the importance of acoustics. Uh, I get accused sometimes of being self-serving, you know, <laughs> someone will say, you know, I'm not really happy. And I was thinking of buying this new microphone because I'm just really getting a really lousy sound. And I already have a U87 and I got an AKG 414. And somebody told me what I really need is, so I'd go in, no, like, dude, you know, your problem isn't your microphone. Your microphone's fine. Your preamp is fine. All the gear you listed is fine. The problem is, and I would explain, you know, that. Sure. You know, and you people accuse you of, you know, when they. Yeah, they say, oh, you're just saying that. Right. You, you're yeah. dismissing gear because you just want to sell, sell bass traps. Well, okay. But, you know, in truth, I sell acoustic products because I believe in it, not the other way around. When you sure. see these, you see these guys selling replacement power cords. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, really stupid products, I mean, that are just, you know, based on pure magical thinking and placebo effect. They don't believe in their products. You know, they know they're selling snake oil. Uh, so, so there's Yeah, and there's, there's no the tests difference. or anything like that. You know what I mean? They just say, oh, it'll open up the sound of your speakers and your, you know, converters. Right. And 
You know, and there's no tests, there's no data, there's no, (laughs) because there's nothing to test. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, you expect that in the hi-fi world where people aren't really that educated necessarily. They, you know, they, they like good music, some of them, I guess, uh, and and can appreciate good sound, some of them, I I suppose. (laughs) And I don't mean to dismiss audiophiles. Some of them are very knowledgeable and some of them have really good ears and, and, sure. Uh, but you know, a lot of them, but you know, with recording professional recording people, uh, even home recording people, you know, that aspire to, you know, get good at it. You expect to see less magical thinking and more science based, you know, information. And I guess part of the problem is, you know, in the sixties, when I was doing this in seventies, if you worked at a real recording studio, you had to know how to repair stuff. I mean, you had to at least be able to swap circuit boards and align a tape recorder, which is pretty complicated. I mean, in the oscilloscope, or at least a voltmeter signal generators. You need to know, uh, understand azimuth head bump. Uh, You have to align the electronics as well as the mechanics. And you had to do that. If you were an engineer at a recording studio, you had to actually know how this stuff works. Yeah. It was a little more of like a, I mean, engineer in the true sense. I mean, you had to know technical work. That's exactly right. And now you buy an office computer and $120, you know, two channel interface and a $99 audio technica large diaphragm condenser mic (laughs) and, and, you know, and, and either freeware DAW or you, you know, buy, you know, something for a hundred bucks to a couple hundred bucks and, uh, you know, a junior version of Sonar or Logic or whatever. And you have what I would have killed for in my professional half million dollar studio in 1980. Sure. Well, I think but it's you funny. Don't have to a lot know of, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of home studio guys don't necessarily realize that there's a lot of companies out there that sell acoustics products. Um, but they won't necessarily sell to consumers, you know, like there's some big, big companies that will only sell to like contractors or acoustic design firms. Mm. And, you know, you, well, they won't, you can't, you can't get small quantities and you can't get small sizes. Well, yes, there are companies like that, but you know, uh, certainly real traps. And there's at this point now a dozen other companies that are, you know, taking our business model because, you know, when, when, when Doug and I started real traps, the, the, the main, well, besides Oralex and Sonic, uh, selling, you know, the foam. And by then, you know, they had, you know, the small base traps, the foam base traps that would be mm-hmm. okay if they were bigger, but you know, they're foam and they're small and, and, uh, uh, but really the main player is in the serious acoustic treatment where ASC with their tube traps, which were extremely mm-hmm. expensive. I mean, they're big ones. The ones that really work well are like $800 a piece. And this was like, wow. in, you know, you know, $2,000, uh, you know, 15 years ago, uh, dollars and sure. RPG. Uh, who's also sells really expensive stuff, really works well. So we were kind of the new kids on the block offering serious treatment for affordable prices. Now there's, like I say, a dozen companies, probably more than sure. that. Well, what would you say separates real traps from all those other dozen companies? Well, um, one obvious thing be, besides the quality of the product, and I can get to that, uh, and what we sell is more expensive than the other companies using a mineral oil. We use gen- genuine Owens Corning uh, rigid fiberglass, which is a better material than rock wool or mineral wool. Uh, the mineral wool kind of turns to dust. It's made out of literally ground up rock uh, <laughs> rather than uh, you know, glass fibers that are spun. And you know, we guarantee our, uh, all our panels for 10 years. Uh, and if you hang a panel from the ceiling, it will not sag over time. Sure. It will not turn to dust. You can you know bang on it with a broom to shake out the dust if you want, if it gets dusty. And it's, you're not going to hurt it. You're not going to damage it. It's not going to bend. Uh, the frames are made out of really strong metal, powder-coated. Uh, and you know, it's just really high-quality uh, construction uh, as opposed to you know stuff made out of wood that will warp and, and shift over time. And mineral wall, 
which is what I, you know, most of the other companies are doing. But what's, what I think really separates real traps from the other companies is that we actually know what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're real experts. We understand acoustics. We understand audio. Sure. We understand the physics of what we do because, you know, it's a low tech product. I mean, in all honesty, uh, it's, it's not that complicated. Now we do have things that are, uh, that separate us, other things that separate us, uh, uh, probably most important would be uh, on our base traps, we have a, a thin plastic membrane behind the front fabric uh, that's bonded to the rigid fiberglass. And that does two things. It, it increases the base absorption uh, about 50%, which is a lot, you know, compared yeah. to a, a slab of rigid fiberglass or a piece of mineral wool. And it also reduces absorption intentionally at the higher frequencies above around uh, four or five, 600 hertz. Uh, there's less absorption than, uh, than just a plain rigid fiberglass. So you can put a lot of base traps in a room without making the room totally dead. And that's what sure. would happen with, with the normal panels or with a lot of foam. It's just like totally dead. Yeah. Uh, and in the small room in the booth, that's actually what you want in the, you know, a four by six foot vocal booth. You don't want any room tone at all, but in the, something the size of a bedroom or a little larger, uh, you don't want to totally kill it. So sure. that's a big feature of our base traps is this plastic membrane that uh, makes the front surface semi-reflective. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of guys that do DIY, they miss, you know, they don't realize and, and uh, that rigid fiberglass is really good especially at the high frequencies <laughs> and it can it can kill that top end if you have too many panels in the room especially if they're you know wall mounted right 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 yeah i have uh i i besides my home studio which is large is 33 feet front to back and 18 feet wide and have a 12 foot uh, center peak uh but i have a i, I also have a 5.1 uh set up in my living room which is you know really a home theater but i also do mixing sure. in there and certainly check all my uh, uh all my mixes there yeah. and that's a little bigger than the bedroom that's 25 feet by uh, 16 feet uh, also with a high ceiling 11 foot peak uh, and I have 44 panels in there, and, you know, <laughs> mostly bass traps, but, uh, you know, high frequency absorbers, diffusers. And even with all that, it's absolutely not too dead. I mean, it's a fabulous room. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I know there's a lot of pictures of it on, uh, on your website and, uh, yeah, yeah. I bet it sounds amazing. Well, it does. And I have a video tour. I did a, a kind of a video was probably 10 years ago now called how to set up a room where a friend of mine came with a professional video camcorder and just used the mic that was on the camera, which and he was like, you know, six feet away from me. And even at that distance, uh, it doesn't sound hollow and distant. It sounds like, you know, it sounds tight and clear. Uh, and I made a, a recently did an update of that video, a little better, a more modern, uh, kind of a tour of my home theater. And I used a lavalier mic and it's absolutely totally dry and clear and clean. And, uh, but conversation sounds normal. And one of the amazing things is you can be listening to a, a, a music video, a rock concert really loud. I mean, as loud as being there and you can carry on a conversation to the person next to you just because all the. Echo cue locations are all so clear. Sure. And, you know, in a untreated room or room without adequate treatment, uh, you know, a home environment and you play music really loud, every sound is bouncing around from everywhere. And when it's loud, even the reflections are really loud and you can't really tell where the music is coming from. And the instruments band to the right are coming from everywhere because it bounces off the left wall and off the back sure. wall and comes back to your left ear. And, uh, and if somebody is talking to you right next to you, that just all adds to the clutter. But in my living room, you can absolutely hear and understand somebody, even when the music is really, really loud, just be, by, because of the clarity of the directional cues and the lack of, uh, damaging reflections. Yeah. You don't have reflections coming from everywhere. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's that's awesome. I, I mean, I know I, I on the podcast I've had many episodes uh, where I get on the soapbox about acoustics and how important it is to a recording, and especially how important it can be for mixing, and and how you know so many people will go years into their home studio without even thinking about it, and you know, as soon as they do. You know, for example, I, I had a podcast listener email me once with, you know, the big list of gear full of, you know, converters and mic preamps and all this stuff. And he asked my opinion. And um, I get a lot of emails from podcast listeners. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to give you my opinion, but then I'm also going to give you what I really think. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, you know, which mic I like and, you know, which mic preamp that I think is good. But at the same time, what I really think is that. You know, if your room's untreated, that's going to be worthless. It doesn't, it's not going to make your sound any better. Right. And, you know, he was like, okay, you know, I, I get that, you know. And then a couple months later, um, he emailed me and said, you know, the, the subject line of the email was, you were right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I opened it up and he was talking about how he, you know, spent three or $4,000 on this converter and this mic and this mic preamp and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, and it didn't sound any different to him, you know, it sounded virtually the same as his, you know, $200 microphone and his $120, you know, USB interface, right? Well, and that's absolutely true. And I have uh, several comparisons, uh, and, uh, and scientifically, I'll, I'll say, uh, uh, properly conducted, uh, comparison files on my personal website, ethanweiner.com. That's separate from the Real Traps uh, website. Sure. And I have an articles page. And I've done a number of comparisons where I compared uh, uh, three different sound cards from a $25 Sound Blaster to a really high-end uh, Lavery. Sure. And uh, and there's a challenge. It's like, here's a bunch of files. Tell me which uh, which one do you think was the Sound Blaster? Which one do you think is the, uh, is the, <laughs> was the M-Audio yeah. uh, Delta 66? Uh, I also did a loopback test with multiple generations through uh i have a uh, my current uh, sound card is a focus right uh a scarlet yeah uh, and uh, uh so i took a, a clean clear recording and here's the original wave file then i did a pass recorded out the output and back into the input and recorded that and then did that uh 10 times and put up i think i put up the first pass the fifth pass and the tenth pass and said, see if you can tell which one is which. Sure. I have another one where I did 20 passes with a Sound Blaster card. See if you can tell which, you know, yeah. see if you can tell which one is which. Because that really shows you, especially, you know, comparing a Lavery to a Sound Blaster to an M-Audio, really shows you if you can't tell the difference. And people email me and I email them back the answers. Uh, and if you can't tell, then, you know, you're spending money on the wrong thing. A the difference between a good sound card and a, you know, in these days, they're all good. They are all good. They all use the same yeah. chips inside. You know, the, the chips cost like, you know, $4 in quantity, whether it's a, you know, a $2,000 per channel converter or you know, something, yeah. on, you know, a, a cheap USB interface. They all, all use uh, most, you know, there's not only one chip, there's more than one, but they all use the same uh, series of chips. Sure. And, uh, and, you know, there are other differences. But anyways, the difference between a really, you know, maybe this one's down half a dB at 20 kilohertz where the other one's only a quarter of a dB down at 20 kilohertz. But your room has a, has a 30 dB null at 70 hertz, a 20 <laughs> dB null at 100 hertz, <laughs> yeah. and a, you know, a 6 dB peak at 110 hertz. And, you know, the comb filtering from your microphone from being, you know, uh, two feet away from a wall or your ceiling where you're singing is, you know, huge comb filtering <laughs> and people are obsessing over all the wrong stuff. Sure. It's just ridiculous. Well, and it's funny too, because acoustic treatment 
is really not that expensive in the grand scheme. Right. And it's right. it cracks me up. You know, people will spend $3,000 on... No, not to, you know, sure, on some of these really nice interfaces, one of the things that you're paying for is ease of use. Some of them have, like, touch screen now, and they've got their own mic. You know, so there's other factors that make them that expensive. But sure. if you were to strip them all down to, you know, just a converter... I don't, I, I agree. I don't necessarily think they'd be that different at their core, you know? Right. Well, you know, you can look at the specs and, 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 and that's, that's why I did the second of my AES workshop videos, uh, you know, uh, was really diving into specs and, you know, like that's how you assess stuff. Now it's true that sometimes manufacturers don't give you complete specs, but some of them give you uh, pretty good specs, sure. but you don't need to do specs. There's other ways you can test stuff like recording through the, like what I did record, you know, take something, a, a CD or some recording you think sounds great and record it out the converter and then back in then record it and see if you can hear a difference if you can't then that converter is pretty good it's not going to screw up what you're recording through a microphone if it didn't screw up this sure i would say you know if this were 1994 1995 they might people might have to be a little more concerned about you know what converter they buy but it's not anymore. Right. Well, that, that's true. <laughs> 20 years ago, cheap sound blaster cards were not that good. They had more distortion and, and a poorer frequency response. Uh, and I don't mean to keep you know harping on sound blasters. That's not my favorite sound card. But I just <laughs> use that as, an, as a good example of a really inexpensive, sure. uh, but perfectly competent these days, perfectly competent sound card. And there's a lot of, uh, of inexpensive sound cards. But yeah, 20 years ago, uh, there was a Turtle Beach. There, there was a lot of different ones, and they all had uh, you know uh, earlier model. Uh, chips but you know for the but even early digital like in the 80s when cds first came out the good stuff was good people attribute they say oh sure. you know back then you know digital was really terrible but it's it's really good now uh, you know compared to then but actually and that's another article on my site i ripped uh, some cds from the early 80s mid 80s and say here what do you think i think they sound great <laughs> and, uh, and sure you know and they were obviously had to go through 1980s level converters and i think the back then the best you could get was 14 or 15 uh, bits uh, none of them were sure. a true 16 bit but that just affects the noise floor it's still 15 db quieter than than the finest studer analog tape deck oh absolutely it's funny to me how you know right now as i'm sure you've seen uh, you know like the plug-in world is obsessed with analog emulations and even adding noise yeah. which i find crazy <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's that's really stupid. You know, a little bit of distortion does add glue, and sure. I use tape simulators and amp simulators and stuff. Uh, I've recorded rhythm guitars, you know, with a little bit of amp crunch, you know, with a microphone. But I, I, I don't know how distorted I'm going to want until I really hear the final mix. I'll put in a little bit of crunch, and then I'll add more with an amp sim later uh, if, if needed. Uh, and, you know, so just certain tape sims and, you know, all that stuff is good. But, yeah, the noise is stupid. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, you know, because I know from, it's like, why why try to make, you know, something do something that it was not intended to do? You know, why why do you try so hard to make the, di like, it's almost like you're going backwards, you know? And, and like you said, you know, if you, if you have a, a nice mic preamp, even like a, you know, a Neve 1073 that everyone, you know what I mean? The noise floor on an analog piece like that is going to be, you know, negative 80, something. And so when you have a converter that's like, oh, our noise floor is negative 120, right. you know, it's like if you use any amount, unless you're using like millennia preamps and, 
solid state microphones, you know, <laughs> there's the noise on any piece of analog gear, whether it's a tape machine or a mic preamp or a compressor or something is probably going to be much higher. You know, even if it's negative 90, that's still 30 dB higher than your converter noise floor. Right. Uh, well, uh, that's right. And also, and often room noise and room tone is sure. uh, even worse. I mean, unless you're screaming into a microphone or put it right up against a loud, you know, Marshall stack, uh, usually the room noise, uh, when I'm sitting here, if we just stop for one second, the, uh, I'm looking at the record meter on my, in, in SoundForge, I'm recording myself with a microphone and I'm not, I, I have the level set. The loudest peak so far of all the talking, most enthusiastic talking I've done has peaked at minus six. Yeah. And the noise floor is at minus 69. Sure. And uh, so, but I'm recording this at 16-bit mono into SoundForge, and the noise floor of the medium is 96 dB. So I'm at, you know, minus 69, so let's say minus 70. So there's, I'm still, you know, the noise floor of even 16 bits is still 26 dB softer than just the room noise of just being in a room here. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's just, you know, air conditioning and, you know, even... A right. piece of paper on the floor ruffling a lot. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it could be anything. Right. My cat is sitting on a chair behind me, and and, and she's wheezing a little. So that's louder. <laughs> that's louder than the noise floor of uh, she snores. And <laughs> well, and then of course the irony that uh, most modern recordings today are compressed so heavily that the you know the lowest the lowest sound is negative 15 or negative 12 or something you know yep that 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 too you know in the 1950s and 1960s uh when i, I guess really everything came out on lp records and analog tape and most of the gear was all i guess all the gear in the 50s anyway in, in early 60s uh, was all tube gear those engineers the recording engineers and the designers of the equipment were they weren't looking for a tape sound. They weren't looking for a tube sound. Yeah. They were trying as best they could to get the cleanest, clearest recordings and best gear, uh, the lowest distortion, the flattest response. They weren't looking for color. They weren't looking for analog color or an analog sound. They didn't want yeah. that stuff. You know? That's just what they had. Right. They and 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 they spent they went to a lot of trouble, a lot of effort to make the the gear as clean as possible and keep the noise as, as soft as possible and and especially distortion. Yeah. So, but you know, and, and, and again, I don't argue against adding, you know, distortion on some things on a sparse mix. I think a busy mix, especially if you have a string section and you have brass, I mean, if it's a really big full featured pop production uh, or a big, big band, big a jazz, big band, I don't really think that uh, tape sims and distortion is a good idea there. Uh, mm -hmm. Usually you really want clear. Otherwise, you know, you can't really make out the individual instruments. Sure. Uh, I think distortion doesn't help, but you know, but on pop things and, you know, a power trio, and, you know, sparse arrangements, uh, uh, certainly a little, you know, grunge uh, can be pleasing in some situations anyway. Oh, absolutely. So uh, why, I know that on a lot of your forum posts and articles and everything, you're, you're really big on uh, putting bass traps in corners. Can you explain to our listeners why it's so important and how, it, how much more effective it can be in a corner. Well, bass propagates around the room differently than high frequencies. Uh, high frequencies are sort of like a laser pointer or a, a cue ball on a pool table. You know, you, sure. you shoot it in one direction and it hits the wall. Now, sound does spread outward as it uh, as it goes out, you know, sort of like a funnel or a, a megaphone. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, it's sort of shaped like that, so it spreads out. Uh, and, and every time you double the distance, it's spread out twice as far. And... Uh, 
the uh, inverse out- square law. Exactly. Outdoors, the sound would uh, drop six dB uh, every time you double. Uh, but sure. bass is, is the way I like to think of it is like imagine like a really big weather balloon, and you stand in the middle of the room and you blow it up, and it kind of spreads outward. And when it hits a wall, and you keep blowing it up, it kind of creeps along the wall and flattens out. Uh, and eventually everything ends up in the corners. Sure. It's, uh, they call that kind of a termination point. And, uh, you know, it's almost like a parabolic reflector or radar dish or cupping your hand behind your ear. You're, you know, focusing sound to the center of that, uh, of that parabolic dish. Uh, so that's what happens with a corner and the three-way corner at the, uh, you know, where two walls meet the floor or two walls meet the ceiling, a three-way corner gets the most amount of sound there and, and frequencies so uh so that's the first place to put bass traps is in the corners but you know all surfaces are viable uh, candidates the rear wall behind you uh is very important because those reflections are very strong and they happen at all frequencies i mean sound comes out of the speaker goes past your head hits the wall behind you and comes right back at you and uh, eventually it hits the front wall and comes back so the front and back walls are probably the next most important place for bass traps uh and i've even seen uh, uh problems that you know nulls that just wouldn't go away until uh the entire ceiling had a bunch of bass traps on it Hmm, yeah so uh uh, and I have a, uh, a friend who has a professionally designed home studio. It's above a three-car garage, so it's you know pretty big for a home studio, but not huge. Uh, and he had a he noticed that as he stood up and sat down, that the bass changed, and he ended up with uh, I think uh, sixteen inches of rigid fiberglass in the ceiling, pretty much the entire thing, not everywhere, but most of it. And that finally fixed the problem. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Now that's interesting. You mentioned that because uh, personal story for me, one of my experiences when I built my studio was I had a goal to make my back wall in the control room basically completely dead, you know, a fake wall, so to speak, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I used, I built this huge, you know, behemoth base trap <laughs> that basically covered the whole back wall, um, you know, with wood dividers and all this stuff. And I used 16 inches of rigid fiberglass. Mm-hmm. And I did some tests, and I thought it was working really well. However, I did some more research, and I had to talk to a friend of mine who uh, who said, "Well, why don't you try? If it's not too much trouble, why don't you try like eight or ten inches, but then with an air gap behind it, and just see if it works better?" And for whatever reason, in my particular space, it did work better. Um, now, I don't know why that is. Um, you know, some conventional wisdom would say, "Well, no, that shouldn't." you know, that shouldn't have worked better. But then other people might say, oh, well, maybe the the panels of rigid fiberglass were compressing each other and, you know, preventing it from, you know, what what, what do you think? Why, what, how did I fail there? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, first of all, did you measure with it both ways or are you just yes, going by what? By I sound? did. Yeah, I have okay. a, I have the Behringer, or actually I have the uh, Dayton measurement mic. Yep, yep. Um, and then I have Rumi Q Wizard. So, yeah, I measure okay. both ways. Ah, okay, well, that's certainly the way, way to do it. Well, you know, uh, if you have 16 inches of fiberglass up against the wall, and what was this, 703? Yes. All right. Well, you know, I mean, you probably didn't double compress it or anything. I mean, unless you went out of your way to really squeeze it. Uh, if you put up, you know, a bunch of layers of 2-inch or 4-inch or whatever to make it out to 16 inches, and then took out the inner eight inches so that you had eight inches plus eight inches of air, the result should be about the same. Uh, If it didn't measure the same, 
it could be because the microphone wasn't in precisely the same place. Hmm. And uh, in order to do a comparative measurement, and it's probably not possible with that much construction, you have to move the mic out of the way while you're doing all that. But moving a microphone even an inch or two can make a huge difference in the uh, response that you measure. And there's another article on my personal website, uh, Common Sense Explanation for Audiophile Beliefs. But it shows... <laughs> Uh, a room EQ, actually, no, it was, I wasn't using room EQ wizard. I was using a different program, but a similar one. Sure. Uh, two measurements. It was a bedroom size space, uh, uh, 11 and a half by 16, uh, with an eight foot ceiling, uh, two measurements at the listening position and four inches to the right. Nothing else. This was an untreated room. Yeah. And the responses are completely different, completely yeah. different, <laughs> uh, and, and including including bass peaks and nulls at you know low frequencies, 90 hertz, like a 60 dB difference in, in the depth of a null. So that's probably what it was, uh, because in theory, it couldn't be better with eight inches with an eight inch air gap. I, I don't see how that could be better than uh, than 16 inches. I could see it being as good or really close to as good. Uh, so that's that's my only explanation is that the microphone was not literally in the same cubic centimeter yeah. of space in the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's uh, it's you know it's one of those weird things. I've I've experienced some you know DIY products that I've I've made and they've worked really really well, and then others you know just don't. And it's amazing how sensitive it can be sometimes to you know uh, just the placement of the materials and what you use and the you know the quality of the materials if you're using you know really good fiberglass or if you're using you know cheaper mineral wool or whatever uh, it's amazing how sensitive some of it can be to just tiny changes in placement and in you know things like that i i know that from if you just look up the the data on you know on a, any of the websites that sell acoustic treatment and you look at hopefully you know they've uh, They've done tests and compared, you know, on a wall versus in a corner. And if you look and see the difference between a wall and a corner, it's almost always like 90% of the time, 99% of the time, it's almost always way more low end absorption. I mean, double, sometimes triple. Right, the absorption in a corner. Right, and 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 no, uh, I I kind of pioneered that when I when we first tested mini traps, we tested them in the normal place in a professional acoustics lab, and then tested them also in the corner. Uh, and I think yeah, other people are probably doing that now too. And that's really important to to, to know that. Uh, one of the other articles I did, which is this one's on the Real Trap site, was for a professional acoustician's magazine, uh, because a lot of them don't really understand, even though they do this for a living those a lot of those guys are more concerned with uh, auditoriums and and you know venues and and stuff and, sure. and automobile interiors is really big for acousticians <laughs> there's a lot of things that have uh, and you know making sure that people in the hotel don't hear the elevator <laughs> sure that's what a lot of professional acousticians deal with not uh, you know home recording studios so I did an article all about the problems and the failings with the standard tests that are used to assess acoustic materials and there's nothing wrong with those tests for automobile interiors, but when you're assessing bass traps that, you know, have a lot of effect, you know, at 60 hertz and 40 hertz and 80 hertz, well, the acoustic labs, uh, none of them test below 100 hertz. Uh, yeah. I, I think there might be one or two in all of North America that can do 80 hertz, but none of them are, are, are qualified to measure lower frequencies because the rooms aren't big enough to uh, to do that. They run into their own modal issues and peaks and nulls. Uh, yeah. 
So that's an interesting article for people that really want to understand, you know, how these things are measured. But even the labs vary uh, uh, a lot. And uh, not only at low frequencies, they can vary, you know, 10, 15 percent. Uh, and the labs are calibrated, you know, once a year, you know, somebody comes around and, uh, and calibrates them and uh, makes sure that the, a material measured in one lab the absorption comes out is measured the same in another lab, but they're not, you know, they don't measure the same. There are uh, differences in the low frequencies, huge differences. So you can't, you can't even really yeah. trust that. So in theory, I mean, a company could go to a couple labs and pick the one that makes their products look the best. <laughs> you, you could, or you could, you, you could, or you could just move them around a little bit in the lab in the same lab. But yes, uh, but you, you could, uh, unfortunately it's expensive. I mean, it's like, you know, a thousand dollars to uh, go into a lab for a day and test a bunch of stuff. Wow. Uh, well, it's so, always appreciated oh, when, when companies provide that data, because like you, I'm, I'm a skeptic when it comes to gear and, and especially when it comes to acoustics. And there are so many, you know, goofy companies out there that say they're making, you know, one of my, one of the ones that's confusing me lately is there's some company making uh, bass straps out of like carbon powder or something. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. They don't have specs though, do they? I, no, I, I, they don't. Yeah. They don't put, they say, oh, absorbs four times more than any other product in the world, you know, of course, yeah. but I, there's well, no measurements yeah. and there's no, and it's like, I, so what, what, how, how does it do that? And, you know, they don't right. give many, any information about, you know, why this is better and, oh, here's proof. And I mean, sure, if they did, it'd be like, wow, they, they really did design a great product. And people well, would you buy know, it. You would win, right. Well, if that were really true, they'd win a Nobel Prize and get a million dollars. So, <laughs> you know, for for some new physics breakthrough. And yeah, and there's another company uh, uh, that sells these panels that are one inch thick that claim that they you know work to the lowest frequencies and all you need, and they're really really expensive. Uh, but uh, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. But you know, if you deal with you know a reputable company and uh, you know on the Real Traps website, uh, I think it's somewhere on the homepage. There's a link to our reviews page where we you know, list a lot of reviews but we have a list of our famous customers and there's dozens and dozens of you know famous universities and ad agencies and google and microsoft and uh and yahoo i mean we've sold samsung we've sold you know to uh, you know museum of modern art in new york i mean we have wow <laughs> can we remember them all there's a big list of a lot of famous people so you know if you get from us uh, yeah it's cheap you know it's more expensive than the company selling cheap knockoffs but you know it's better and and we give better advice. You know, that's what I was getting to, you know, a while back is, uh, uh, you know, it, you want somebody that knows, that understands this and, you know, send you, you know, a customer will send us pictures of their room and, and we can right away tell them the best thing to do. Okay, what you need to do is, you know, move that. That's in the way there. Can you move that dresser out of the front corner and put it, put it back behind you along the side wall? Then now that sure. you have a place for base traps, here's what you want. Get these, uh, you know, how much you have to spend? Oh, okay. Well, for that money, this is what you should get. You know, get four of these and two of those and put them here you know? yeah yeah well i mean because everything in the room is gonna i mean furniture and all that stuff can affect the low-end response and you know and it's amazing to me how sometimes you look at a room and you know i've i've had a couple studios and i've helped a couple friends treat their studios and it's amazing how you can look at a room and say okay you know this you know, and you can even talk in it, and, and sometimes your brain will tell you, oh, it, it doesn't sound too bad in here, and you can even play some music in there, and it's like, you know, you're listening to some music over speakers, and you're like, oh, it doesn't sound too bad, and then you do some measurements, and it looks terrible, or it do some you do some measurements in a room that, you know, you think will be really terrible, and it's not necessarily that bad, so I mean, it's it's really important for people, I think, to to 
if they really want to get their room in check uh, at some point or another, maybe not up up front, but at some point or another, they're almost going to have to measure. Right. And, you know, that brings up another really good point. Uh, you know, I, and I see this uh, uh, because I deal with home theaters and hi-fi people, but also with with home studios, uh, people, somebody will come to a forum and say, I bought this subwoofer. How do I know? Where's the best place to put it? And people will tell you all kinds of stuff involving listening. Yeah. And that doesn't work you you will literally spend the next three years dicking around with it and not happy <laughs> and you move it here and the problem is it sounds uh, and, and over there it sounds good on this song but then you have to move it a foot and a half to sound good on another song yeah uh, but they don't even realize that's what the issue is you know they just keep moving it and it's good for a day and then they realize that geez it's not that good anymore uh Aside from the fact that your ears vary and your ears are not as, as repeatable as test gear, the problem is different songs are in different keys. If you have a resonance at 55 hertz in your room and another one at 110, as happens, then you're emphasizing A notes. Uh, and if you play something in the key of of, uh, of D, it'll have an A note, but mostly it's going to be a D note, yeah. uh, you know, in the bass, you know, or if it's in the key of F, uh, there won't, uh, you know, there won't, there may be an A if you play a third on the bass, but mostly you're going to have f's and c's and and you know when the b flat uh when you go to the four chord and you know and a c and a g when you go to the five chord you know if it's you know and and you're not gonna know that you have this bad resonance on a when you measure in 10 seconds you do a sweep that checks every single frequency and you move the sub and you do another sweep and you it might take you an hour but that's better than literally three years of never being happy (laughs) and in in half an hour an hour you can try 20 or 30 different sublocations and you can overlay the graph and say you know what it's it's not perfect anywhere but this is the closest to perfect sure and then you put in a bunch of bass traps and it gets even better well you can find a place where it sort of helps to offset you know what's exa- already the peaks and nulls that exist maybe you find a place where you know if there's a peak in the speakers in the mains then maybe there's a slight null in the sub and they can kind of help offset each other a little bit maybe well and yeah and for moving the speakers but you know but my 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 point is that measuring as you started by saying is really the only way and it's because when you listen to music music is in keys it doesn't have every note going on at once so if you listen you know and yes you could have 10 different songs all in different keys you could play you know the Bach uh, a well-tempered clavier that plays in all 12 keys (laughs) except i don't think there's an electric bass or kick drum in that and that's another thing you know kick drums are all over the map i mean there's all kinds of different kick drum sounds that are uh, you know in commercial recordings or in your own recordings and you know this one's tuned to 50 hertz this one has a lot of 300 hertz this one has no 300 hertz but it has a lot of 120 and you know that stuff is all over the map and sure that's why you need to measure because you can see everything at once uh, in a quick sweep and then you really know what you have do you have any recommendations for people in terms of uh, measurement mic or uh, software well the room eq wizard is fabulous because it's free and it works with almost everything uh, i've heard well actually i haven't heard this in a while but there were problems with uh with on some macs and some operating systems uh so there's a mac only program called fuzz measure that's also affordable uh it's not free but and it's actually a little easier to use than the room eq wizard hmm. but you know room eq wizard maybe you scratch your head for half an hour trying to figure out what the you know what the setup screens mean and yeah uh, it's 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 not that complicated uh, and most people manage pretty quickly the fuzz measure is even a little easier to use so i recommend that for 
people to say, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be complicated. So, all right, buy fuzz measure. It's 150 bucks or something like yeah. that. And, uh, and it's a really fabulous program. So either, you know, room EQ wizard for free, fuzz measure for max only for not a whole lot of money. And, uh, yeah, the uh, Dayton mic that you have, uh, or the Behringer, uh, Nady also sells one on my, uh, no, it's on the real trap site. There's a article called a comparison of 10 measuring mics. And we compare mics from, from the Nady that at the time cost 40 bucks to cool. a $1,900 Josephson with a, you know, capsule. And I forget the, all the models and a bunch of stuff in between and the high end earthworks and my own, uh, uh, high end DPA mic. And, uh, you can see that they're all pretty much the same. Yeah. Well, I like the, uh, <laughs> with the Dayton, what's cool is, I think the Dayton's only like 50 bucks and they'll send you, whenever you buy it, they'll send, you know, you have the serial number and you can look up, um, if you're a Rumi Q wizard and maybe fuzz measure can do this, um, where they'll send you the the calibration file. Yeah. So it kind of helps to offset any, you know, imperfections. Yeah. And that's great. Getting calibration file. Uh, my, uh, I have a DPA that costs a lot of money. I forget what it was, you know, DPA 4090. It's, it's a fabulous microphone. Uh, and it didn't come with a calibration file, but they guarantee it within, you know, two DB or something. Sure. Uh, and you know, rooms vary by 30 DB. I mean, literally 30 DB nulls and you'll have three of those and you'll have a couple at 20 and a bunch at 10 and peaks, you know, so I'm not even, I don't even care about one or two dB variation in the microphone. And even the cheap mics don't vary that much. I mean, yeah, they fall off at the high end and they fall off at the low end and they fall off at the high end off axis. Even though these, these are all omnidirectional mics, uh, they're uh, still most accurate pointing straight at the source. That's just because of the of physics. Sure. And the smaller the diaphragm, uh, uh, the less of that effect you get. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, the $40 mics are as good as the $800 mics for a home studio person to measure their room. Now, and most of the time, I feel like, you know, it's when you're measuring, it's more about the changes. You know what I mean? So even if it's not super, too, yeah. Yeah, it's not super accurate, it's like, well, okay, it doesn't really matter because I can see that when I put bass traps in the corners, my low end gets in check. So, you know what I mean? You're, you're looking at the change rather yeah. than the exact db amount right but but even the absolute accuracy is not bad uh, but it's important to you know to have a small diaphragm omnidirectional mic i mean yeah you could use a large diaphragm cardioid uh and that really will not be accurate it'll be fine for relative you could see the improvement with bass traps sure you know but these these small diaphragm omni mics are 50 bucks 60 bucks uh, Eighty dollars. I've seen some, uh, and 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 any of those are, are are good. And every studio should have one of those anyway. I mean, they're great for tambourines and hi hats and and you know transient information, you know, sure. musical content. Things that have a lot of sizzle in the high end uh, are best recorded with that kind of mic anyway. So get you know get one of those. You don't have to spend eight hundred dollars uh, or even three hundred. Now, when so let's say you know you got your average guy says I'm going to start a home studio. Um, you know, so he's got his room, let's say it's your typical home room size, you know, eight foot ceiling, say, oh, I don't know, 15 feet by 13 feet or something, you know, pretty common home room size. Um, you know, what's the first thing that he should do? I mean, is, should he set up his speakers at like a 38% point or his listening position and then his speakers around there and then measure or, 
you know, what's the first thing? Well, well, you know, I even though I measure rooms for a living and I'm big on measuring and I have articles on, you know, both of my websites that talk about measuring and show measurements, uh, you don't even really need to measure. Uh, I mean, yes, if you follow the, you know, the guideline in the how to set up a room article on the Realtrap site, that, that's what you're talking about with the 38% sure. uh, thing. Uh, and just put base traps in the corners and put, uh, you know, high frequency absorbers at the reflection points and something behind you, uh, on that wall, uh, you're going to be 95% of the way there, maybe a hundred percent of the way sure. there. I mean, you always benefit from more base traps. Uh, but, but, but yes, but yes, of course you can measure and, uh, uh, and you can fine tune it. But, you know, as I was saying before, moving the microphone, even two, three, four inches makes a huge difference. So, you know, you move the microphone a little bit and you move the speakers an inch or two and everything changes and it really becomes hard to, uh, to nail down where really is best because just moving these things just an inch or two makes a real big difference. The great thing about bass traps and having a lot of them. Uh, or at least four of them, but probably better if you have 12 or even 20 in a room like that. And I'm not kidding. Sure. Uh, the great thing about that is all of those variations of moving around uh, get smaller and smaller. So when you have literally 12 to 20 bass traps in a bedroom, you can move the microphone a foot and the response doesn't change drastically. You can move the speakers. You can move the listening position. You can move around and all of that stuff varies much less. People in the back of the room hear more or less what you're hearing at the listening position. You know, somebody. Sure. Seeming- and that's really, really important if you have people in the room when you're mixing. Right. And it's important as you move around because, you know, just moving your head a little bit and you lean forward and back in your chair uh, or, you know, stand up to take a break, and you, but the music is still playing or, you know, obviously standing up is going to change the high frequencies because you're way off axis from the tweeters but i'm just saying generally moving around in your seat and wheeling back and wheeling forward and leaning forward and leaning back and side to side all of that stuff varies much much less when you have acoustic treatment in the room yeah and that i mean you want you want a wide speed sweet spot so you don't have to like clamp your head in a you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) never move of course right of course yeah and So. so i have another question about wall panels so uh, is there a general rule that you like to follow in terms of spacing a panel from the wall? I know that panels are a lot more, you know, like let's say four inch panel, you know, fiberglass is, is going to be way more effective if it if you can get an airspace behind it to lower frequencies at least. Do you have a general rule for how much you like to space panels? I, I do. And there's actually, there's a very large detailed article on my personal site, uh, the Acoustics FAQ, F-A-Q. Uh, and one of the things, and also in my audio expert book, I have the same information. Uh, the theoretical ideal air gap is the same as the panel thickness. Gotcha. So if you have a four inch thick panel, uh, then four inches off the wall is the ideal gap. Uh, in practice, you can go more than that. Uh, you could probably go to twice that. You could probably have eight inches. Uh, with a really thin panel, like one inch, you don't want to go like three inches. Uh, but with thicker panels, uh, you know, the thicker you get when you get out to, you know, three inches, four inches thick, you can go more than uh, equ- than the same uh, space as the thickness. But that's the theoretical ideal gap is, is the same uh, as the panel thickness. And that's about the same as having uh, a panel twice as thick. Sure. You know, a four-inch panel with a four-inch gap is about the same uh, ben- performance as having eight inches of material, but it's half the price. You can now have twice as many panels for the same money. Sure. So I'm sure you recommend spacing, you know, like your, your like uh, Mondo traps and things like that. You recommend spacing those off the wall. 
Right. Now, not if, not if you're straddling a corner. If you're straddling a corner, you want to put it tight into the corner. But yes, sure. on a wall. It's already got the air gap behind it. it, it exactly. And another advantage of spacing a panel off the wall uh, is it makes the panel seem larger because sound arriving from an angle, uh, not straight on, but sound arriving from an angle can uh, get behind the panel. It'll bounce off the wall uh and uh, and then bounce into the back of the panel, which also absorbs. Sure. So well, and if, it, if sound strikes the panel at an angle, also, then it's not necessarily four inches thick. You know, it's it. The sound sees that as you know, on, on that angle, it could be eight inches thick from that angle. Right. Yeah. And that too. Yes. So you know, so a two but two foot by four foot panel is more like two and a half feet by five feet. Uh, sure. You know, in effective size, if it's spaced away from the wall for sounds. And and again, I I, I know that one's in my book. I don't know if that's in my big acoustics fact. Uh, you know, because there's drawing showing all this and showing you know sound driving at an angle and hanging panels down from the ceiling. Uh, and it shows, you know, with actual graphs, you know, and pictures showing how sure. sound can get behind there and why it's uh, effectively. So that's just another side benefit besides going literally an octave, absorbing to literally an octave lower with an air gap. It also makes the panel seem bigger. Uh, sure. Yeah. So they've got the room. They've got some bass traps. Uh, you know, what what do you what's your opinion on like the live end dead end thing? I know a lot of guys only have at least a lot of my podcast listeners only have one room. To do everything, um, and that to me has always been di- tricky because if you know if your back wall is going to need potentially a lot of absorption, um, you know, with the strongest reflections, uh, having a live and dead end seems difficult. What what do you what thoughts do you have on that? Right. Well, you can't do that in a, in a bedroom. Uh, you can do that in a twenty by thirty foot control room uh, because then if the back is uh, is reflective. Uh, you, by the time the reflections get back to you, they're uh, they're late. They're not early reflections. They're late, so it sounds more like you know, yeah. You don't get the comb filtering. And sure. in a, a small room, you can you can use diffusers on the back wall, and that'll uh, avoid that problem and sort of give you a liveness behind you. Uh, the real traps diffuser is really great because it diffuses mid and high frequencies, but absorbs base frequencies, which is exactly what you want in the wall behind you. Sure, uh, and that's really uh, special. Not a lot of companies do that with with the absorption you know, built yeah, I in. Yeah. I don't know anybody uh, that does that. Most diffusers are made out of wood or they're made out of thin plastic. Uh, sure. And, uh, you know, just, you know, cheap stamped plastic. Uh, and ours is actually made out of base trap material with a reflective front surface. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm not doing this to, to, you know, sell, sell stuff or to give a sales <laughs> pitch, but that's really, that would work. And that's one of the videos on my uh, YouTube channel. And also on the real traps website is a video called hearing is believing where we took a bedroom size space and decked it out with about $12,000 worth of acoustic treatment diffusers and <laughs> bass traps and absorbers. I mean, really seriously, but we've sold several rooms like that to, uh, uh, two of them to mastering engineers, uh, and other rooms similar to that to, uh, you know, guys doing mixing, you know, serious professionals doing mixing at home. And, uh, uh, so, and so you can turn a bedroom into make it sound like a much larger space. That's why it's called hearing is believing. We actually recorded music. If you've ever recorded music out of a loudspeaker from, you know, four feet away in a room, it sounds terrible. In this case, we recorded in the front of the room and even in the back of the room. And, uh, it's really quite an, I, an ear opener to, uh, you know, to hear what, what a room sounds like. It's not quite as good as being there, but it's pretty close. 
And sure. If you, on, if you put on earphones, it's really almost like being there. We used a little Zoom portable stereo recorder. So that's something. If people want to see, well, what's possible when cost is no object, how, how good is it possible to get in my little bedroom space? Well, here you go. This is as good as you sure. can get. In, you know, and one, one of the most interesting tests that I saw on your website was where uh, you were testing the density of different uh, fiberglass products, you know, 705, 703. And uh, one of the most interesting things that I found um, was that you tested a bunch of different panels, thicker panels versus more thinner panels. Yep. Uh, and, and the results were really surprising. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Uh, yeah, well, we had 12 three-inch thick panels, and we had uh, 703, uh, 705, and 701. Uh, so those are uh, one and a half, three, and six-pound densities. So three different densities. And we did them with, uh, with an FRK facing and without an FRK facing. And that's sort of like the membrane we use on the real traps uh, panels that I had mentioned. Ours are a little more sophisticated than the, sure. you know, the paper yeah. that's glued to the material. But, but that's the same idea. So this was testing three densities with and without uh, the FRK membrane facing. And then we also tested uh, six six inch panels versus 12 three inch panels. So is it better to have twice as many th panels, but they're half as thick or have half as many panels, but they're twice as thick and more thin panels won out by, by quite a nice margin. Very obvious that having more base traps, uh, even though they're thinner, having more of them uh, is better overall. And I believe that's because we were able to have a uh, target more places in the room. We were able to spread them around the room. And instead of just covering, you know, some corners, we were able to cover more corners and more, uh, area uh sure so and I, yeah so i found that really interesting and it's it's proof that you know small rooms generally do need more base traps than people realize right oh yeah yeah oh yeah that's why i say 20 base traps in the bedroom is not too much uh it really isn't uh and that's you know also part of the hearing is believing a video you know where sure. we really decked it out and we actually took out i uh, did several levels we we had a lot of diffusers and we took the diffusers out and measured again and did listening tests uh, that you can hear uh but uh yeah i mean you don't want room sound you know the sound of a small room is lousy you don't yeah. want that you don't want <laughs> at all whether it's hi-fi listening or home studio or you know mixing or recording you don't want that lousy sound of a small room it just sounds sure. off mic it sounds hollow and distant and crappy and you don't want that you don't have to make the room totally dead but you don't want coherent reflections early coherent early reflections is i guess the technical sure. now do you have <laughs> a do you have a rule of thumb that you know what you would call a small room well, you know, a bedroom, you know, anything uh, smaller, you know, 20, by the time you get to 25 by 35, then you're talking professional control rooms. Sure. Uh, even, well, let's see, my living room is 25 by 16, and that's still a small room, uh, and I have a lot of treatment in there, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, so, yeah, even 25 by, you know, 16 is, is small. I would say 20 by 30 is, uh, is bigger. My home studio is 33 by 18, uh, and that's... Uh, it's still a house-sized room, but it's it's big enough uh, to record. I've recorded sm small orchestras. Actually, record. I wrote a cello concerto and recorded it section by section. Had eight violin players and had six viola players, and uh, cool. you know, and and and. Well, know, and you play cello sections. yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember watching one of your videos where you recorded all these individual parts and. 
you know, banging on the cello with pencils and all right, other yep. stuff, you know, I thought it was yeah. really, really cool. I, you know, it shows all all kinds of different cool sounds you can get from one instrument. Yeah. That was uh, really tough to uh, produce because, uh, because I had one instrument and I, and I was trying to get, you know, all these different sounds out of it. So it was huge amounts of EQ and effects and compression and stuff, uh, uh, which I actually show at the end of the video. I show uh, some of the plug-in screenshots. Uh, yeah, that, that video is also on my, uh, on my personal site on my tunes page and yeah, that has almost 2 million views uh wow <laughs> various websites uh for something done with you know one cello <laughs> you know, yeah. parts <laughs> yeah now so i've always i've always been curious about um you know the the advantages of and i'm sure this is talked about on the forums all the time filling a corner versus straddling a corner and i know that uh so i've got uh i've got a corner in my live room Floor to ceiling, well, my ceiling's actually 13 feet in the live room, but as high as, you know, uh, I really need it uh, for most things, I've got your mega traps, and they go, they're behind, uh, behind where I keep the drums. They work very, very well. Just about the best of any product I've ever used <laughs> for low-end absorption. Sure. And, um, you know, they're very attractive looking they you know as they kind of disappear into the corner you know right, uh, and right. and and so what's what's the advantage of filling a corner versus straddling i mean obviously if you can do either great but right, <laughs> right. well yeah and the and the mega traps even though they're huge if you get you know if you get them the same color as the wall and they just you know disappear you don't even see it um well you know here's here's the thing with that uh when performance is the most important, then filling the corner absolutely is the way to go. Uh, you know, if the cost of the material, or in this case, the cost of the, the product, uh, isn't, isn't the most important thing, what you want is the best you can possibly get, then filling the corner is the way to go. Uh, but if you're making your own or if you're buying panels, uh, it uses like, you know, two and a half times more material, something like that. And it's not two and a half times more absorbent. It's half again more absorbent. Sure. Uh, you know, of course, it depends what you're comparing it to, whether you're comparing it to a two-inch panel, a four-inch panel, a two-foot-wide panel, a three-foot-wide panel, a one-foot-wide panel. Sure. But but generally speaking, it's, you know, filling the corners maybe half again better, tech, you know, absorbing, but it uses two and a half, three times more material. So if cost is the factor, use four-inch panels. If performance is what matters and you don't care how much it costs, then, then filling the corner is the way to go. Uh I've had some I've had some listeners ask me and uh, you know I never know what to say other than you know try it out and test it and see what happens but right. let's say you know people have uh, some two by four panels that are four inches thick and they've got them across a corner I've had some people ask me well would it help if I put say you know fluffy absorption behind and and you know put it behind the uh, the straddling panels, right. uh, and that's a and that's a good solution because when you get to that thick, you know, a big airspace like that, the fluffy fiberglass works pretty well. It doesn't work well when it's an inch thick or two inches thick. Sure. But once you get to like a foot, you know, a foot and a half of space, you know, behind the panel, uh, fluffy works well, and it costs a lot less than seven oh five. Uh, sure. So so yes, that's a that's a very good uh, a suggestion. Yeah, that's good to know. That's good to know. I I know that uh, I was in a studio recently that you know I, this is one of those things i feel like a lot of people don't necessarily when they'll see pictures of big studios you know their brain will say like oh well they don't have acoustic treatment when in reality 
that room is, you know, 50% bigger than what they see, and the walls are all acoustic. You know, it's all false walls with, you right. know, wood slats. Right, of course. And they don't right. see yeah. panels, and so their brain says, oh, I don't need panels. They don't have, you know. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's false ceiling and false walls, and the back wall is, you know, who knows, eight feet thick, full of absorption and diffusion built right in. Yeah, well, three feet thick certainly is is, is not uncommon in a professional studio. The entire back wall, uh, and that's what I was saying before, besides the corners, the next thing then is the whole back wall. And especially in a big room, I mean, if you're talking a 25 by 30 foot or 35 foot, you know, professional control room, the, the back wall is, you know, 25 feet, yeah, you know, by 11 feet high or something. That's a big reflecting surface. So just doing the corners, sure. you know, all, all the way out in the corners is not enough. You really have to. So that's why, yeah, three feet thick. Uh, and then again, fluffy fiberglass is fine when you get to that thick, uh, which costs less. So uh, Sure. And, and I mean, uh, the slat walls are primarily for, um, aside from like a Helmholtz design, those are primarily for adding, you know, preventing them from absorbing too much top and and uh you know maybe diffusing a little if the spacing of the slats is you know yes you can get diffusion it's not the same as a real qrd diffuser but you do get some diffusion with slats if the uh, spaces and the slat widths are are calculated and are uh, not just ran just not just random but but there is sure you know specific calculations when it comes to diffusion when, when should people consider diffusion well uh if you have the budget, a good diffuser, whether you're buying them or making them, a good diffuser costs a lot more than a good absorber. Sure. Uh, so if, again, it's it's really comes down to how much money you're looking to spend. But if the cost of all that labor, if you're going to make it yourself uh, to do it correctly, uh, or you know the cost to pay literally three, four times more for a diffuser than a base trap of the same size, you know, but the back wall is, you know, so that's really the issue. But the back wall is the most important place uh, for diffusion. And and again, uh, besides the hearing is believing video where we you know put diffusion everywhere that it made sense. Besides, after putting absorbers and base traps, uh, there's also a video on my uh, YouTube channel called All About Diffusion. Actually, I think it's on the Real Trap site too. That explains all of that and it talks about different kinds of diffuser. It shows and it lets you hear with a microphone why a bookshelf full of you know crap isn't isn't a real <laughs> diffuser yeah. and why uh, curved surfaces aren't a real diffuser uh, and. Uh, because it lets you hear that, I, I don't mean to, not trying to dodge the question, but I, I could talk for another half hour and it still wouldn't be as good as watching, you know, 10 minutes of this video. Sure, <laughs> sure. Hearing, yeah, I, I mean, it. I built some QRDs myself and it was very difficult and it was, and because they're wood, it's very heavy. Yeah. It's not something that, <laughs> that I would necessarily want to do again. Uh, uh, yeah. It, it's, you know, and you can do it and they work well. And I was very, very cautious with my measurements and, right. you know, very, very particular about all of that. And it was so much work. It's a huge um, amount of work, you know, and, 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 and they are really, really heavy. And, yeah. uh, so that's, you know, that's why, uh, yeah, I, I have in my living room. I have uh, four of the real traps diffusers. Or they're light. They're base traps. You know, they work really well. So and they so stack, I, right? They stack with your other traps very uh, easily. You can, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah they're very thick, so they can they can stack up and they won't topple over. Now, I think yeah. I read on your website you've got two versions of the diffuser. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we have a near version for when you're pretty close to it in a small room, and a far version when you're farther away. Gotcha. And I also saw that you have. HF panels and non-HF panels. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, well, the well, the base traps have the membrane behind the front surface, and that uh, increases the base absorption, and and gives less absorption at the mid and high frequencies, and that's good in corners and farther away on the back wall. Uh, but at reflection points, you want uh, something that absorbs fully at all frequencies, uh, and uh, so in that case, uh, uh, we actually have the membrane on the back of the panel, which still gives some increase of of uh, low frequency absorption, but the front surface then is uh, full absorbent at all frequencies sure uh, and, and and i'm, I'm assuming that uh you know if let's say somebody at home has got some diy tra- traps and uh you know they they feel like their room is too dead you know I've, I've always heard people talking about craft paper and things like that is that uh, is it work even remotely similarly to uh, yeah you can do that but you have to know you know you can't don't want to put that everywhere you put that in corner base traps you don't want to put that sure. at reflection points uh because you need absorption there uh you know and that's one of the reasons that real traps doesn't have an online web store because people sometimes they know exactly what they want sometimes they think they know what they want uh so so all the you know when i talk to customers it's always on the phone sure uh, and then i can confirm uh you know uh, what they're getting and where, whether they should have the hf type panel or the standard base trap type panel and where they're going to go and, and a lot of times it ends up being well, okay you get four of these and, and six of those and here's where you put them sure well i've got i mean that to me that's great customer service and i'll i'll tell the listeners my own story of customer service and why <laughs> probably why we're doing this interview in the first place is that uh, I ordered some mega traps recently, and uh, they got lost in the mail. And um, you know, I was trying to figure out well, what what the heck do I do now? <laughs> you know, I don't know, you know, who to call or whatever. So I emailed. Uh, I I ordered them through Vintage King, but I emailed Ethan and I said, "Hey, I just want to let you know this is what happened. I don't really know what to do." And uh, Ethan was very very helpful about uh, just making sure that okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out what you know what's going on, and we'll you know we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. And, you know, that, that means a lot to someone like me. You know, I, I care a lot about companies that care about their customers and, and want to make sure they get what they want and that it's the right thing and, you know, that they stand by their products enough to to do that. Right. And it's, it's always better to buy from us direct. Uh, and I don't begrudge dealers uh, when they uh, bring in uh, people that wouldn't have heard about this otherwise. Uh, but, you know, in this case with Vintage King, uh, and they're a great dealer. Uh, but when we uh, sell products to their customers, uh, we use their FedEx account. So in this case, it wasn't even really my responsibility. It was sure. like, hey, you know, it's Vintage King's account. FedEx won't even help me. Yeah. Uh, they didn't lose my package. They lost Vintage King's package. Sure. Uh, but still, I was happy to get involved in, uh, and, and still we, we, we made it work and got replacements uh, in the queue. And so, uh, yeah, I appreciate you you guys getting them out so quick too. I, I, I just got them, you know, a couple days ago and put them in and ran some tests and they really do work amazingly. And it's, it's nice when you can, uh, you know, you walk up right next to them and you talking to them and that's how you can tell, you know, you're like, Oh, they're, they're not killing all the top end, you know? Well, you know, that's that's another video on uh, uh, on my YouTube channel and on the Real Trap site called uh, "How You Can Tell Whether It's an HF uh, Panel or a Standard Base Trap Panel with a Membrane on the Front," and and actually talk into them and have a microphone there so you can hear what I'm hearing. And uh, because sometimes somebody will move and they took all their panels down, they can't they they forgot which ones are HF or they didn't mark.
mark them. So well, it's really easy. You know, just hold it in front of your face and talk into it. Sure. Like what you're describing. Well, hey, listen, we're just about out of time with the podcast. Ethan, I thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing your knowledge and you know telling some great stories and offering some insight. And if people want to learn more about you or your company or read some articles you've written or watch your videos, the two websites they need to check out are realtraps.com and ethanweiner.com. That's E-T-H-A-N-W-I-N-E-R.com. Is that right? That's right. Yes. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for uh, listening to the Recording Lounge podcast today, and thank you for being a supporter in general. As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, and podcast ideas, please send me an email at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I do check my email. Um, some people don't think that I do, but I do, so please send me an email. I do answer my emails, and uh, I'm, I will try to help you however I can, and uh, please send me your show suggestions. I, I'm always looking for new so- show suggestions suggestions and a lot of my favorite episodes of the podcast have come from your suggestions so don't be shy uh, check out our YouTube page that's youtube.com slash recording lounge uh, I've got a couple more videos in the works that I'm trying to work on um, but uh, yeah we've got some cool videos over there already some videos about compression and whatnot and some saturation videos but anyway um, check out the blog recording lounge.blogspot.com and the Facebook page facebook.com slash recording lounge uh, be a part of the community there and um if you're not a, if you're not already signed up, please go sign up for the mailing list. It's the easiest for, way for me to contact you. You know, it, it doesn't. It's not like sort of favoring any social media website. It just allows me to send you an email when we have new podcast updates, uh, new episodes posting. If there's any cool tips or videos that I've posted, uh, if there's anything I want to share, it's just easiest for me to send out an, a mass email to everybody. So you can go to recordingloungepodcast.com/slash/sign-up. S-I-G-N-U-P, one word, and sign up for the mailing list. It's zero spam. I don't send your information out to other companies or anything like that. Uh, it's not like that at all. I send you the... Th- I send you emails only when I need to. So one last thing is if you want to support the podcast financially, you have two ways to do that. And again, I vastly appreciate all the donations and the Patreon supporters that I have so far. But the two ways you can do that, if you're outside of the U.S., some users have reported that it's much cheaper and because of all the fees, the VAT fees, uh, it's easier to use PayPal to do a donation. So you can go over to recordinglounge.blogspot.com and... uh, check out the donate button for PayPal. If you're a member of the uh, mailing list, there should also be a donate link at the bottom of the emails that I send you. Uh, and that's for PayPal. If you want to become a Patreon or a patron of the uh, of the podcast, you can go over to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash recording lounge. And that allows you to make a donation every time I put out content. So it's not a recurring donation. It only happens if I put out content. So whether that's once a month or twice a month, uh, but that is a great incentive for creators like myself to create, to keep creating, because you know the more uh, the more I put out, then the more I get paid. So whether it's a dollar or five dollars or whatever that you feel is you know something you want to do, if you feel like doing that for the podcast, I will be eternally grateful. I highly, highly appreciate all the people that have done it so far. I I, I just owe you guys so much uh, for. For listening to the podcast, it, you know I don't make any money off of this podcast. I have no endorsements, I have no deals, I have no advertisements, I have no way. I don't really make money off of this podcast. It's all from. 
Patreon donations and PayPal donations that keeps this podcast going. Um, you know, and and it's you know it's amazing that people love this podcast enough to do that. And and so to all of you that are supporters of the podcast, you know, I appreciate all of you, whether you pay me or not. I just love all you guys for being fans and supporters of the podcast. Uh, so keep listening. I've got some cool shows planned for the future. Uh, so make sure to check back. Thanks.